All right, so we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Before we get into the scripture, over the, um, for sure this week, I might spend a couple weeks. Uh, I haven't really decided for sure how I want to do this yet, but I want to preach some messages kind of helping uh, individuals and us as a church kind of move forward in our growth spiritually. That's something that all of us should always be working on is moving forward in our growth. A lot of times we can get real satisfied with where we're at as individuals. And, you know, God didn't just save you just so you can just be pathetic and then, you know, uh, never grow, you know, never learn anything. God doesn't put you in a church so you can just sit there and get entertained a little bit. He wants you growing. He wants you becoming more like him. And if we're not regularly evaluating ourselves as individuals, if we're not regularly evaluating ourselves as a church, it's going to be real easy for us to get stagnant and backslidden and not even know it. And we won't realize it until all of a sudden we're having major symptoms of problems. We're like, wait, what's going on here? And it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times, you know, we go months and months without stepping on a scale. And you step on a scale and you're like, well, you know, what happened? I was like, well, you should have been monitoring all that McDonald's you were eating every day. You know, you took those shortcuts and, uh, you know, started getting the Egg McMuffin instead of real food at home. And it has an effect eventually. But it's always slow. So we always need to be looking. And if we're not moving forward you're probably going backwards. We're always moving in some direction. And so I want to point some things out that I think are very important to help you maybe get to the next step in your Christian life. And I guess, too, where I want our church as a whole. You know, I I want to kind of preach this to our church as a whole to kind of get you all to the next step and get our church to the next place where I think it needs to be. But notice what it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. It says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words that I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Also in Leviticus verse 9, chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Now, why would anybody ever do that? Because people are going to do you wrong. But notice what he said. Instead of avenging or bearing grudges, he said, But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We all know love thy neighbor, but we often forget the context of why he said it. Instead of righting every wrong that's done against you, instead of holding grudges against people, he said, love your neighbor. Real simple. He didn't even just say, get over the grudge. He just said, love your neighbor. He didn't just say, don't avenge him. He said, no, love your neighbor. You know why? Because loving your neighbor is the key to not doing anything bad to them. It's the key to doing anything good that you would do to them. You've got to love them. It says, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Why did he say that afterwards? Because you need to understand who's talking to you right now. This is God talking to you. And God saying, I'm telling you to love your neighbor. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he said the exact same thing when he was questioned about the greatest commandment. He said in Matthew 23, 27, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the key to a, a successful Christian life, on one hand, is extremely simple. On paper, it's super easy. Love God and love your neighbor. You do those two things, you're going to be a great Christian. You're going to be an obedient Christian. You're going to be great across the board. If you'll just do those two things. So on paper, it's easy, but yet at the same time, it's pretty hard, isn't it? Now, we all know why it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because of your flesh. 
Your flesh doesn't want to love your neighbor. Your flesh doesn't want to love the Lord. Your flesh loves itself. Your flesh loves its sin. But if every day we would just zero in on these two things, we would succeed. You know, and, and, but the obstacle is the flesh. The factual solution, very easy. But putting that into practice, it's difficult. Like the Apostle Paul said, how to do that which is good, I find not. But uh, Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit not of having the Holy Spirit, but of walking in the Spirit, which is what we are commanded to do as Christians. Very simple command. Instead of just a whole bunch of commands, there's one command, walk in the Spirit. Yeah, but what about the law? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of walking in the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There is nothing that you will do when you're walking in the Spirit that will violate any law of God. Did you know if you could just learn how to walk in the Spirit all the time, you would never violate the law and you wouldn't even have to know it. Now, I still encourage you to know the law you know, and to learn what the Bible says, but if we would just walk in the Spirit, we'd be fine. The law wouldn't be a problem for any of us. But anytime we, but with the key again to obeying the law, the first thing that mentions, it mentions about walking in the Spirit is love. And the key is, if we allow our love to drift from where it's supposed to be, you're going to automatically struggle in the flesh and you will commit sins. You get love wrong, you're going to sin. And so as a pastor, if I want to keep sin out of the church, I'm going to have to do more you know, then just get up here and scream, don't do this and don't do that. And we do a lot of that in church, don't we? We're always going to the Bible. We're always going to the law saying, don't do this. Don't do that. Often when people are in sin, whenever there's problems in the church and you start calling out sin, you know, people, they, uh, they're, you know, give me a one verse in the Bible and don't let it be that one verse, you know, like about church attendance, you know, give me one verse about forsaking the assembly, but don't give me the Hebrews 10, 25. You know, they, you always have to not only give them a verse, you got to give them multiple verses. It's like you have to say it 45 times. And as a parent, how many times should you have to say something? One time. Did you know when, when the Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord? He shouldn't have needed to say it again. Now, he said it many times, but really one time is all we should really need. And as, as a parent, you know, don't you ever just get tired of telling your kids not to do things? Do you ever get tired of just making new rules? And, you know, and the, the worst thing, too, that's most frustrating as a parent is when they do something bad, and it's like, well, you never made a rule for that. I mean, how many have I ever put down on a list of rules for kids to follow? You know, I, I probably shouldn't say things like this and give them ideas, but don't get toilet paper wet and throw it on the ceiling. Okay? Most people probably haven't, you know, made that rule. Okay? Uh, you know... Don't stick gum on the bottom of your mattress. You know, there's some things that once your kids get to a certain age, do you, you shouldn't have to tell them that. When, now, when they're babies, it's just constant. No, 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 no. I mean, that's one of their first words that they learn. No, you're just constantly just all day. No, no, no. It just, I mean, I, I want, you know, if we could count how many times in a day we say that when you have little kids. It's just constantly don't, 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 don't. And as a pastor, sometimes you do, you just kind of get wore out and frustrated. It's like, man, I just feel like I'm just constantly preaching. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's like, and then, you know, not only do I, you know, in some things there's just not a lot of verses for, and you know, some things there's not really any verses for, but the principles there, 
And at the same time, too, while there's not a specific verse, I feel like I shouldn't have to have a verse that spells this out. I should, there's some things that, you know, some of the things that we come up with. I mean, you know, we don't see anything about sex changes in the Bible. You know, they don't, they don't talk about, you know, surgeries, mutilating yourself and stuff like that, do they? You know, but it's like, should we even have, should I have to give you a verse on that? Now, I can give you principles. You know, I'm pretty sure if God doesn't even want us, a man wearing a woman's garment, he probably doesn't want us going to a doctor to change into female anatomy or something like that. You know, he, I guarantee you he doesn't want us doing that. I, I'm 100% convinced. You know, some of the things people, I can't find any verse in the Bible about, uh, you know, piercing your eyebrow or something like that. I'm pretty sure God doesn't want us doing that. I'm just, I'm pretty sure uh, you know, our body's the temple. It doesn't say you can't pierce the eyebrow. Uh, I just, I had a cousin one time that pier- got her thumb pierced. I don't understand that. I'm pretty sure God doesn't want us doing that. You're just a legalist. You're adding man-made rules to God's word. And it's like, do I really have to show you verses for all this stuff? And a lot of times we do have verses, but for some reason it's not good enough. They'll go into for some cultural reason, like it doesn't matter. You know, like making cuttings in the flesh and uh, markings too for the dead and stuff like that. And then, you know, and we'll use that to say you shouldn't get a tattoo. No, that's, you, you don't understand. That's for something else. I, I, don't, I don't care if you find a different reason to get marked up. I don't think God wants us doing that. And I think the fact that, you know, you even have to get up and preach some of this stuff sometimes. The truth is... I, and here's what I've learned as a pastor. This kind of stuff, when you have to start preaching, don't do this, don't do that, you've got to give people 47 verses for each thing. Did you know it's not typically new, brand new Christians that you have to do that with? It's typically people who've been saved a long time who are really backslidden. That's typically who you have to do that with. And, you know, it's like some people today, you know, I, I've, just, I've just learned as a pastor, if people want to sin, they're going to sin. They're going to. I, I, I can't make anybody do anything. You know, I think some people want a dictator around here. And I don't believe that's what a pastor is. And I don't feel like being a dictator. That, you know, that's just, that's just not me. But I think that's, I've just learned people are going to do what they want to do. You know, some people, they know just enough Bible that they are capable of just condemning everyone and finding a problem with everybody. And we shouldn't be surprised that you can find problems with people when the Bible's full of sins. And we've got people that, have flesh. But you know, some people, they know the Bible a little more to where they're able to justify literally every sin. That's, there's some people that are real good at that. And so I don't think most Christians intentionally drift away from God. It's something that just kind of happens without us even realizing it. But when we get our eyes off of Jesus, it's always because we've put them on something else. Okay, you're always looking at something. You're, you're looking at something, and when you shift your focus away from Jesus Christ, it will always manifest itself in your life with sin. That, that's what's going to happen. You get your eyes off Christ, you get back to the non-God, sin is going to pop up in your life. There's, just no, there's no way around it. And a, a, lack of, a lack of love always causes more sin. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It's love that motivates us to stay away from sin. But often, you just get discouraged because you see so much sin going on in the world. You see so many people just getting away from the things of God and quitting and even pastors just compromising and churches going liberal. And you just look at that and it's like, you know, why do you even try anymore? You know what's going on? 
because iniquity abounds, the love of many is waxing cold. I'm not as motivated to do right anymore. My love is waxing cold because of all the evil that's going on in the world. But folks, if, if that's how I feel, my focus is more on people than it is on God. You know, if I'm all of a sudden wanting to drop my standards and convictions because all the churches are going liberal, then that just proves my love is more for, or my eyes are on people rather than my eyes being on Christ. And that's not how things are supposed to be. That's not the right motivation. And so when a person gets saved, they should be sinning less than they were before. And you know what? The longer you're saved, the less you should be sinning as time goes on. And, but you know, when that's not happening, when you're sinning more than you were the year before, it's because you're backslidden and you need to repent and you need to get your love back. Revelation 2.4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They, they, what originally motivated them, that first love, it got them because they lost that they got away from the first works. And so he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. And so as a pastor, you know, I'm always trying, to, it's, it's my job to look out for the spiritual needs of the flocks. I'm always trying to, you know, think of that sermon that's just going to straighten everybody out, be a help and a blessing to everyone, motivate people to be the best Christian, fix everybody's problems. You know, that's kind of the expectation that's there sometimes. And, you know, and there are, as a pastor, there's some parts of the job I really enjoy. There's some parts I don't enjoy at all. You know, I don't enjoy, you know, confronting sin at all. You say, well, Pastor, you seem like you do sometimes. Well, I've always tried to just, if anything I have to do, try to find a way to make it fun. And, you know, and that's kind of my philosophy. If you've got to do something, try to find a way to make it fun. And I'm just, maybe it's just my way of coping through something really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, and I'm not, you know, not that I'm trying to be mean or cruel or anything, but it's just like, man, this stinks. If I can find some way to make it enjoyable, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, but then there's some things I can't find out how to make it fun. And confronting sin is not really one uh, that I've been, a, I've been able to figure out how to do it. You know, I'll do it. I'll enjoy it. I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy hard preaching and understand hard preaching is preaching at the people in the audience. Okay? Preaching against the sodomites, that's easy. Okay? That, that's not hard preaching. That's, e that's easy stuff. And, and hopefully it's not hurting anybody in here if I, if I do that. Um, but, you know, I, so I'll always do it, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. And don't get me wrong, I'm never going to stop preaching hard. I'm never going to stop getting specific about sin. But, you know, recently I've just been thinking a lot about the fact that if I could just help people love God a little more and love their neighbor a little more then all these other things would take care of themselves. I don't, and again, I'm not trying to get away from specific preaching. I'm saying I want our church to move on to the point where I don't have to get up here all the time in church and just preach, don't do this sermon, don't do that sermon, and just a long series of don't do this, don't do that. You know, I think... We've been, I think most of us have been around long enough. We've been saved long enough. We ought to have some maturity. And there ought to be some things we just figured out, you know, I can figure that out on my own. Nobody needs to tell me not to do that. I don't need, a, you know, there, we don't need a list of rules telling us not to get toilet paper wet and throw it on the ceiling. 
I hope we don't have to make that rule here at church. And somebody better not do that after church, just to try to be funny and prove a point. You know, but there's some things that we just, we shouldn't even have to say. And, you know, I said, I do, you know, you do, you feel like that parent just constantly saying stuff. I said, and there, there's many things that I could get up here, I could talk about to try to inspire you to love the Lord more. But I really just want to kind of focus on one thing this morning. There's really just kind of really one main thing I want to focus on. Because I don't, I don't feel like getting up here. This all, you know, I, I, shouldn't have to, I, I shouldn't have to get up here and show you a Bible verse giving you a list of English vocabulary words you're not allowed to use. You know, some of you ought to be able to figure that out on your own. And if I can't, you know, if I can't find a list of English vocabulary words in here you're not supposed to use, doesn't mean they're all okay to use. I can't find a list of German words. I can't find a list of, uh, you know, Filipino words in my King James Bible. But I can find principles that are pretty easy to figure out and help us to know. We should, I, I, you know, I, I hope I don't have to put a, a, a sign out there with a list of words we're not allowed to say when at the church. I, re, I really do. I, I, I don't think we need that. I think if we do, we're a super immature church. I, I really do. I don't think we need that kind of thing. But the goal of this sermon today is I want to, I, I, it's to help me to decrease in your spiritual walk and cause Christ to increase. All right? And you say, you're just trying to be lazy as a pastor. No. Listen, I'm always going to work hard as a pastor. But if I can move on from certain things, I can move on to other things. Y'all understand that? Okay, I, I don't plan on getting lazy, but there is. There's just kind of a part of my job that I think, you know, we should be able to, I should be able to move away from it a little bit and work on other things and that we can go on into perfection and on to uh, completion and growth. And so in John 3, verse 29, I love this passage here. John the Baptist is speaking. Jesus Christ has come on the scene. He's growing in popularity. More people are paying attention to Jesus than they are John the Baptist. And so people are naturally thinking, man, you know, John, he's probably going to be upset about this, like the Pharisees. But John the Baptist, he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. He had his priorities right. He understood how things were supposed to be. And he said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so in the story that we're seeing here, John played a major role in these people's lives spiritually to get these people to where they needed to be spiritually so they would receive Jesus as the Messiah. But now, all of a sudden, we find out that in reality, John succeeded. Because now, these people that he's been preaching to try to get them ready so when the Messiah came, they would follow him. Guess what all those people are doing? They're following Jesus. This was good. John the Baptist was successful in what he set out to do. And the fact that he is kind of now taking a back seat and the fact that he is decreasing, it didn't upset him at all. You know what he said? My joy is full. This is what I was shooting for. And here's kind of the sad thing about it. John the Baptist, he ended up glorifying God, not through preaching anymore, but through going to prison and getting his head cut off. And that was God's will for him. And John is going to be handsomely recompensed in the resurrection. I have no doubt about that at all. 
But, you know, I, I, I know as a pastor, I've got no problem with decreasing in, pe- in people's lives. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a sign of success. And it is, it's very okay, it's very normal for a newer Christian to be very dependent on a pastor for their growth after they first get saved. That's normal. You know, and if that's where you're still at, there's nothing wrong as long as you don't stay that way forever. Eventually, you ought to get to a point where you don't need to lean on me as much anymore. And I, I don't get offended by this, and, and I, I hope this doesn't stop anyone from doing this, but I, I regularly get this. Um, you know, I, I get this a lot from people online. I even had somebody just this week. You know, nothing, nothing wrong with this. But, you know, I regularly have people you know, ask me, Pastor Tommy, is this a sin? They'll bring up something and ask if it's a sin. You know, and uh, sometimes it's one of those areas where it's super easy and I can show them a verse in the Bible that clearly explains it. But sometimes I just have to show that all I have is a Bible principle about that. And even then, sometimes people ask me about things and it's like, okay, you know, in this situation, it might not be best for you to do that just yet. Because, for, for example, one of the questions I get a lot is, um, you know, from newly saved people, you know, that are married. And then, you know, they hear a sermon about dressing right as a Christian. And then they wonder, you know, how to address it with their wife. And, you know, I do think you ought to take into consideration the fact that, you know, your wife when she married you, didn't know you were going to be like this. You know, you need to give her time to get on board. You need to give her time to grow. And so while there's some people that I might talk to and be like, well, yeah, definitely, you know better. Yeah, you ought to do this. For other people, I might be like, you know, you need to take your time with this kind of thing, depending on their situation. Everybody's got unique situations. Some things are really complicated. And so, um, you know, I get, I get a lot of questions like that. And it's not always just a, a cut and dry answer, but you know, either way, at the end of the day, there are some things that are real cut and dry for everyone. There are other things that are a little more complicated that, that take some time. And hopefully though, if you're growing as a Christian and if you're growing in your love for the Lord, if you're growing in your love for other people, you will be amazed at how easy it is to figure out right and wrong. It's actually really easy. And most of the time too, when uh, not, well, not most of the time, but a lot of times when people come to me saying, Pastor Tommy, is this right or wrong? They're just looking to see if they can win an argument because they've already decided, I want to do this sin. And I dare you to try to tell me it's a sin. That's not, that's not a good attitude either. But again, don't, don't hesitate to come if you are concerned about something in your life. But I'll just say this too. If you have to ask, it's probably because it's a sin. It's probably because the Holy Spirit's telling you not to do it. I'll just throw that out for, for a bonus there. But the uh, Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And it's, it's normal for a new Christian to be dependent on people, to be dependent on a pastor, to need that milk of the word. And they need that so they can grow. So don't feel bad if you've been there if you are there, but I want to help people not be there anymore. I want to help people where I don't have to bottle feed them anymore, but where they could feed themselves some steak if they can't. You know, that, that, that's where I'd like to get people to. And so while the milk of the word, while having a lot of help being dependent is necessary in your early development as a Christian, 
you need to understand that it's also, this is also easier and people often get lazy and in a state of dependency on man. That happens in a lot of church. We talk to Catholics all the time that they are dependent on their priest and they're okay with that. I mean, just recently, somebody was telling me about the lady they talked to. She just, she's trusting in her priest. You know how easy that is? Not even willing to look and say, well, hey, you want to see what the Bible says about this? Nope, I trust my priest. And a lot of people are that way too when it comes to, when it comes to standards, when it comes to right and wrong, when it comes to their position on a doctrine, like, you know, I trust my pastor. And, boy, that's, that sounds good. You know, if I hear everybody, you know what, I trust Pastor Tommy. You know, whatever he says, I believe. You know, that might make me feel kind of good for a little bit, but at the same time, if I'm a really good pastor, you won't just have to trust me. You know, you'll be able to just go to the Bible and be like, sure, I'm there. And, you know, when you first get saved, again, you don't know any Bible yet. You know, I understand why people are very dependent on maybe the person that led them to Christ and, and have a lot of trust for them. But we need to grow, we need to grow on from, from that. But a lot of people, they do want, they want to stay in that state of spiritual dependency on a man. And so some Christians, they just always want to ask if certain things are sins and they want you to tell them if it's right or wrong. But the problem with this is that there's just some things that somebody, maybe they're just not ready for yet. Yeah, this is a good thing, but you're not ready for it just yet. Yeah, you know, I don't think you ought to let your teenagers do X, Y, and Z, but understand you just got saved, and the last thing you want to do is just make them start hating God, hating church, hating the Bible. You know, you led them into all that sin, you raised them in all of that sin, and you need to be responsible in getting them out of that sin too. You need to take some responsibility there. So again, it's not always just a real, you know, cut and dry thing. And so the state, though, or the danger of staying dependent on a man is that man is going to eventually let you down where Jesus never will. And, I, and I'm afraid that's where a lot of people end up. You know, whenever they get saved, they often, they get in church and they get on board with everything. I mean, every time the pastor gets up and he preaches against the sin, they meet, all right, we're repenting of that sin and we're going to criticize everybody else who participates in that sin. I mean, they're immediately, I mean, they're on board with everything. I mean, the pastor says, you know, I don't do this. I don't do that. They go, you know, they change everything right away. You know, and, and a lot of times too, you know, they're excited. They're zealous. You know, they're wanting to do something for God. That's, that's not necessarily a wrong thing. But again, you know, if, if your mo only motivation is, you know, love for me. And if you do not grow in your love for God, eventually what's going to happen. And what I see happen all the time, eventually people they do they kind of get their eyes off god they go through times where they get they get backslidden they get disgruntled at, at the church they get disgruntled at the pastor people of the church and you know what ends up happening when the love starts going the sin starts coming back and a lot of times they learn just enough bible to ju justify every sin that there is too and the thing is and turn over to matthew chapter five but you know one of the reasons it's bad when you get looking at man like this is, again, man's going to disappoint you, but Jesus never does because he is consistent. Because what ends up happening, people, they start looking, you know, at first they were motivated. They had all this love, excitement for God. They love the people of God. 
and they just kind of started doing everything that everybody was doing. But eventually, you get bent out of shape. You get disgruntled about something. And then all of a sudden, you start noticing everybody's flaws. You start noticing everyone's inconsistencies. And then, you know what ends up happening? They start throwing out all those rules that they have for themselves. They start throwing out all those standards and convictions. And they end up right back in sin. And what happened was, they lost their love. Is what happened. And anytime you lose your love, it will manifest itself in sin. Now, I want, you, I want us to look at several verses here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus is speaking here. And, and I'm pointing this out too, because again, you know, people, a lot of people, where they are in their spiritual walk, what their rules, their standards, convictions are, a lot of times it's all based on the pastor. It's all based on a man. And one thing that is one of the most discouraging things to me is just watching everybody. seems like whenever they, they, they get all hardcore on these rules, and then as soon as they get disgruntled at the church, they leave the church and all those rules go out the window, which just tells me you never did it for God. And what a shame. What a shame that you never got to that point. What a shame it was always about man and never about God. What a shame that, you know, I, I was never able to be like John the Baptist and succeed and have full joy in knowing that, you know what, Jesus Christ is increasing and I'm decreasing. And what's sad is, we, especially in the trendy world, they've learned just enough Bible to justify every sin that's out there. They act like their uh, sins that they're adding to their life is their growth. You know, I, you know, they learn more about the Bible now and drinking's okay. You know, dressing like the world, acting like the world, listening to world music. It's all okay. And I'm here today to tell you the reason they got that way is because before their rules were all about a man and man will never be fully consistent. Man is always going to be flawed, always going to have issues. But if their eyes would have been on Christ, if they would have been growing in their love for God, I'm telling you, those things wouldn't have gone away. Because let me tell you, Jesus will always be more strict than I am. And I just want to show you this, show you some things here. In Matthew 5, verse 31, Jesus speaking, says, It had been said... Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. Did you know that that was harder than the law? That was harder than what they practiced? This is, this is more extreme. And then he goes on and says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And you say, well, then why did these things, why were these things said in the law? One thing we've got to understand about the law, too, a lot of times there is what I've heard people refer to is God's permissive will, where it's like, okay, there's some things that, okay, technically you're allowed to do that. Technically, it's not a violation of the law. But is that God's perfect will for your life? No, it's not. So, for example, you know, technically, you know, we don't have a bunch of rules in the Bible spelling out who someone should marry. You know, pretty much if you ask people, you know, what does the Bible say about who we should marry? We typically go to 
be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And you know, that's not even necessarily about marriage. Or it's not specifically about marriage. Now, the principle definitely applies. Everyone goes to a principle in that. And let me tell you, I agree 100%. I don't think a saved person should marry a lost person. So the thing is, just because I can't show somebody a scripture verse saying, this probably isn't a good match, you know, there's nothing necessarily against the law, doesn't necessarily mean this is what God wants for your life. And a lot of times, too, people, when they're getting, when they're getting backslidden, that's how they get. You've got to give them a specific verse, just spelling everything out. That's not, really how, that's not really how it works. We see here Jesus, he's kind of, not only is he telling us what the law is, but based on that law, you know, we can conclude that other things are also wrong in God's sight. For example, too, if it's wrong to kill somebody, in God's eyes, you shouldn't even want to do it in your heart. Now, was there a law about that in the Old Testament? I mean, not really. I mean, there, again, there's principles. You know, when he says, you know, these words this day shall be in thine heart. You know, you can, you can make an argument there. But I'm saying that some of these things aren't specifically laid out. But God, is, Jesus is showing right here that, hey, it's not just about you checking off a few boxes from the law. This is about you actually having these things in your heart and being like God. He goes on to say, ye have heard that it's been said of old uh, said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that was in the Bible. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. So he's saying, you know, you know what he's telling you? Let, let some things go. Somebody does you wrong, you don't have to make it right. Yeah, technically that's lawful, that's legal. But he's like, you know what? I would rather you just let it go. I'd rather you just forgive. I'd rather you take the insult. He said, if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. You know, really? I, I mean, I've got to give him extra more than what the law demands. Why is he saying I've got to have the cloak too? It's almost as if he's saying, not only do you just need to do what's legally required, but you know what? Show that you are for the decision. And okay, the decision, just give the cloak too that goes with it. Don't just do the bare minimum. He said, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. They say, uh, and based on commentaries and things I've read, back during that time under the Roman law, they had a law that if a, a Roman soldier, he could basically compel someone to service if he needed help carrying something. And, and so they're like traveling along their way. They could like command somebody, hey, I need you to help me carry this stuff. And they were required to at least go one mile with them. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, he didn't want them to have this attitude. Okay, the law says I got to go a mile. I'm only going to go 5,280 feet and not one inch more. He's saying, you know what, just, just do two. You know, not only do what's legally required, but you know what, don't make them force. You don't have a bad attitude about it. You know what, help them out extra. Go two miles. You know, these are the kind of things that are in the Bible that we don't really like to talk about that much. Because we don't really like you know, and, but this is what, this is what Jesus said. He said, give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, 
Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? If ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. Be complete. And basically what, we're, what I'm just showing you here is what when people are focused on man, you know what you're going to ask from me and you know all I'm going to be able to do? I'm only going to be able to give you what the law requires. That's it. And you know, some things aren't that spelled out in the Bible. You know, if you come to me, Pastor Tommy, I need you to give me a list of words that I'm permitted to say. Okay, first off, I'm not going to do it. But second of all, or, or words that, I, I, that I'm not allowed to say. For, you, know, if, you know, if that's what you need me to do, just understand there's only so far that I can technically take that. But let me ask you this. And only, you know, you, you can figure this out between you and God. But, all right, you know, let's take, you know, let's take the Bible cuss words that are out there. Okay. I mean, you know, can I get up here and technically say you are not allowed to say the word hell? Well, obviously I can't get away with saying that because, I mean, it's, it's in the Bible. I mean, we have to talk about hell sometimes. But let me just ask you this. Do you really, you know, is it okay in your conscience? Do you really believe God wants you just throwing that word around and what the H this and what the H that? You know, the word, the word damn, it's a Bible word. But do you really think God wants you going around damning everything and damning people? I don't know. I, I'm convinced God doesn't want me doing that. I'm convinced, you know, of that. You know, if you, I mean, because I'm telling you, when we actually go to God and we actually ask Him these things, we find out He's pretty strict. He's pretty strict. You know, do you really think, okay, and I've had a bunch of people saying that they bet that I've said, I say this. But let me ask you, do we really think if we're at some public event in a world where, you know, the Bible says, not the cruci- ruler of thy people, and they all start chanting, let's go Brandon. Do you really think we ought to participate in that? Do you think the Lord wants you saying that? Because you know what that means. And I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you, you know what that means. And you know what? As much as I don't like our president, and I'm, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I, I really wouldn't because I do. I know what that means, and I know what that's putting in my head. I know what that's putting in my heart, and I don't believe God wants me doing that. And I, I can't give you a Bible verse. On that, I'm just asking, ask Jesus what he thinks about that. That's what I'm telling you to do. We see that the, that the Pharisees, they were always constantly going to Jesus, kind of tempting with the law, show us in the law, you know, give us the technical details of these things. And Jesus just goes and ups everything. Why? Because he is, he's holy, he's somebody who's perfect, he's somebody who's complete. And I'm just here today to tell you that when people are backslidden, Everything becomes about the man and all the problems with man. Oh, you don't think I should do this? Well, you have this problem. We all got problems. Yeah. So it's like now I'm not allowed to preach against any sin because I have a sin in my life too. 
I, I mean, and listen, a lot of preachers get up, and that is how they preach. I can't give you a Bible on this, but in my house, we don't say this. We don't say that. You know, I mean, Brandon's a cuss word in our house. We're not even allowed to say that now. You know, just, you know, that, that's how hardcore we are. That's kind of how they preach. But what we're supposed to be doing in our preaching is we're supposed to be showing what God, what Bible says, you know, how, how God feels about things. But unfortunately, a lot of times nobody's hearing the message from God. Nobody's hearing anything from the Holy Spirit. Nobody's hearing anything from the Word of God. You're only hearing things from me. Sometimes that might be my fault. I'm preaching in the flesh. Sometimes it might be your fault because you're in the flesh. And I'm just, I'm here today to tell you as, as much as I try to be consistent in my walk with God and that my walk match up with my talk and all those things, I try to be consistent. It's not going to take a bunch of study of the Bible for you to start figuring out imperfections in my life. And when you do, it will give you the excuse your flesh needs to do whatever your sorry flesh feels like it's doing. I'm telling you, if you keep your eyes on Christ, if you let him increase and me decrease in your life, it's not going to matter. It's not even going to be a factor. Congratulations, you found an inconsistency in my life. That's, not, that's still not an excuse for you to sin against God. That's not an excuse for you to do something that you know He doesn't want you doing. But you know, unfortunately, a lot of times the only people that have the ability to make you feel bad are other people. We're the only place you're seeing judgment because you've chased the Holy Spirit from you. You've quenched the Holy Spirit in your life. And the truth is, even if we're all sorry and pathetic, the Holy Spirit should still be all over your case for stuff that you're doing. But you know what? We've become, we've become numb to the things of the Holy Spirit. Our consciences are seared with a hot iron. And we need to get back to just having a tenderness in our heart. And if you do, if you have that, you're going to grow. And you're not going to need me up here telling you what to do. And, I, and I'm up here as a pastor today telling you all this because I am convinced that if I decrease and Jesus increases, not if I just decrease, but Jesus doesn't increase too. You know, if, if, if I decrease and Jesus increases, I won't need to get up and say, don't do this, don't do that. I won't have to do hardly any of that stuff. I might have to get to study my Bible so much that I got to go try finding some sins that I didn't know about, you know, to nail you people. I mean, but, you know, either way, either way, it's not about me trying to get up here and just nail people all the time. It's about getting people to actually grow. And if people and so when people are backslidden, everything becomes about man, all the rules, you know, oh, Pastor Tommy's against this and this. this." Well, it's not really supposed to be about Pastor Tommy's rules. Are we going to address Pastor? You know, we're going to talk about Pastor Tommy or we're going to talk about what the Bible that he mentioned. Are we going to talk about these scripture verses? Pastor Tommy, he doesn't you know, think we ought to say this, say that. Are we going to judge Pastor Tommy or are we going to judge verses in the Bible about corrupt communication, about filthy talking? You know, are, are we going to judge these things in the Bible? You know, they're always, the backslidden are always looking at problems with man. These things, though, and a, lot, and a lot of times when people start having all these problems with pastor in the church, with people in the church, it's funny, they never had these problems before. It's, and, you know, one of the most discouraging things for pastors, and you hear pastors talk about this stuff all the time when they're singing the blues and talking about their woes, is about how at one time I was so great in these people's eyes, and now I'm like just the worst person on the planet. You know, how, how does that happen? <laughs> and, you know, and, and here's how it happens. 
You know why at one time you're the greatest person in the world? It wasn't always because they were just man worshipers and were taking things too far. But it was because a lot of times when people get saved and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're full of charity. And when you're full of charity, well, it hides a multitude of sins. Yet you don't, yeah, this person's got a problem, but you don't care. You know, you love that person too much. You know, it does, it's not, you know, it doesn't mean you're compromising on sin. You just don't care because you love that person so much. These people, they love the Lord. They love the brethren. And so when they love the Lord, when they love the brethren, who cares about all these people and all their problems? Who cares about everybody's issues? But let me tell you, when you get backslidden, everybody's issues are going to matter. When you get backslidden, I mean, you're not going to be able to look at one person in this church and not have a problem with them. When you get backslidden, you're going to be able to come to me as oh, I don't want to be around church anymore. I don't want to be involved in church anymore because this person has this problem. This person has that problem. And you know what? Chances are they had those problems the whole time you've been here. Well, that's another thing you learn as a pastor too. People rarely get over their problems. But you know, the truth is when you actually have love for the brethren, those things don't matter. Hey, you know what? Did you know you used to be doing all these things? You used to be doing right. You weren't doing this sin. While these other people still had all these problems. Why? Because you had charity. Because you love the Lord. Because you love the brethren. Now, all of a sudden, these things are an issue. You know what happened? You're backslidden. You're backslidden. And you know what should have happened? If you, would have, if you were actually growing, we're all going to decrease and Christ is going to increase. When Christ increases, guess what? You sin less. When Christ increases, you become more strict. But when Christ decreases, all of a sudden, our problems become a bigger problem for you. And at the end of the day, the real problem, it's not that Liberty Baptist Church and all the members in it just got real sorry, pathetic, and backslidden. No, you got backslidden. And that's all you can see now is everybody's problems. And that is a problem with you and what many people are looking for today it's an environment where everything is 100% permissive to whatever it is they feel like doing at that time so you know they they love the lord they love the brother at one time but again when you get in the flesh man will give you an excuse for everything you can justify whatever you want to do anything i could try to nail you for well so and so in the church does this doesn't mean you still shouldn't do this but again thinking about man and so this is because of self-love this is where a lot of people are growing in self-love and when people go closer to christ you know what what ends up happening is they just learn how sorry that they really are which causes them to clean themselves up and it also causes them to be more compassionate towards others i'm telling you the closer you are to christ the cleaner you're going to get the less you're going to sin and the more compassionate you're going to be towards other people. And what I see, people get backslidden, they're sinning more and more, and they're nailing everybody else more and more. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. And what needs to happen, if we're going to go on to perfection, if we're going to be able to take this church to the next level, you know what needs to happen? I need to start decreasing your life. I need to, I, I need to be able to just get up, you know, not get up here every week and just don't do this, don't do that, and just be talking about the law with everybody and finding principles and trying some way to convince you people that, you know, you shouldn't be strangling each other or, you know, robbing your neighbors. And, you know, I, it, some of these things you should be able to figure out on your own. And I think that, that I think we're to the point 
where we should start seeing, um, you know, we should start seeing progress in this area. And when that happens, yeah, you're not going to need me as much anymore. And you know what? When that happens, my joy will be full. My joy will be full. And you think about parents, some of you parents that have had kids that have gotten older. And, you know, you know, think about how you feel when you don't have to change your diapers anymore. You don't have to take a body anymore. It's like, you know, it's like, man, I really like being dependent on in that area. No, there's some area, there's some things I don't, I don't want my kids being dependent. Isn't it nice when they learn how to feed themselves? Isn't it nice when they learn how to put themselves in a car seat? All those little things some of y'all are dealing with right now. I mean, some of you are at that stage where you got to put all your kids in a car seat. It's a pain in the neck just to go anywhere. And, you know, as a pastor, you know, there are some type of things. It is. It's like that. It's just like putting kids in car seats. It's like changing diapers. It's like, I want to get to where I don't have to do that anymore so, so we can do other things. So we can do bigger, better, and greater things. Not so my job can just be easy and I can be lazy. No. There's better, there's more enjoyable things to do with your kids than change diapers. There and you can't, you can enjoy your children. And I have enjoyed my children, but I don't enjoy changing diapers. I don't enjoy putting them in car seats, all that kind of stuff. And so that's how I feel as a pastor. I want us to grow so we can grow, go on and just do better and greater things. And we're just not dealing with messy diapers all the time. And every, and every church goes through those stages. It's, it's life. doesn't mean we're a bad church. But just like you're going to have to have a ch- talk with your children one of these days, hey, it's time to get potty trained. I'm trying to get Hannah to get rid of her passy. I keep telling her, passy is for babies. You don't need that. And every time I do, she just takes it out of her mouth. And it's like she knows I don't like it with it, but then when I'm not around, right back in her mouth. You know, and I, I, w- I want her to grow out of that. And I do. I want us as a church to grow out of some things, and I and I believe I believe we will, and I, I believe we are, and we just need to keep it going. Make sure we have our hearts and minds right in these areas. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I thank you so much for everyone here. I thank you, Lord, for just the the growth we have seen in our church, Lord. It's amazing uh, the things that we're seeing now compared to you know years past, Lord. You've definitely done a great work here. But Lord, we don't want to get satisfied. We don't want to content. We don't uh, be and lift it up with pride with where we are, but Lord, we want to keep on uh, growing. We want to keep on drawing closer to you. And so Lord, I pray that uh, you'll help me to be able to decrease in people's lives and that you will increase and that they'll uh, become closer to you. I pray that we'll all grow in charity and love for you and love for the brethren, uh, knowing that it will, it will keep us from the sins that you uh, want to keep away from us. In your name we pray. Amen.